Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. You know success when you see it, or you think you do, the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. No president should be able to sustain boots on the ground without congressional approval and without a clear explanation of what the mission is and what the end game is. This isn't really about the economic policy. This is about the coronavirus. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. We must use every tool possible to defeat this assault on women's reproductive rights. This is a steady growth that we're seeing here in our economy, you know, over the last three months. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. They say they have a deal on a framework to pay for reconciliation. The big three at the podium today on Capitol Hill. Speaker Pelosi, Senate Majority Leader Schumer, Treasury Secretary Yellen. And Bloomberg Sound On was in the room for it all. Coming up, we'll tell you what we know about that deal, how Democrats plan to handle government funding and the debt ceiling, and we'll discuss it with Congressman Jim McGovern, Democrat from Massachusetts, who's smack dab the center of this debate as chair of the House Rules Committee. We'll also dig into all of this drama with Mick Mulvaney, former acting White House chief of staff, former budget director as well. We'll talk about a possible default later with Mark Zandi from Moody's. And we'll get analysis from the panel. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. It's been another very busy day on Capitol Hill. Those of us who attended Speaker Pelosi's weekly briefing this morning were treated to a couple of unexpected guests. As I mentioned, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen on the stage, along with Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, they all walked in together to make an announcement. Okay, uh, just I have a brief, brief sentence, and that is that the, the White House, the House, and the Senate have reached agreement on a framework that will pay for any final negotiated agreement. So the revenue side of this, we have an agreement on. So there's an agreement on pay-fors, okay, but no final price tag or any new details on what is inside. Of course, reporters tried to ask more of the speaker, but that's essentially all we got, though Pelosi also pledged to keep the government running, making clear the Democrats will handle the debt ceiling alone if Republicans refuse to help. And House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy today confirming, again, they won't. The Democrats have a mechanism already in place to use reconciliation to pass it with a simple majority of their members in the Senate. If they want to raise and spend another $5 trillion, that's what they need to do. I went upstairs later to talk with the chair of the House Rules Committee. Congressman Jim McGovern of Massachusetts has been awfully busy lately. And started on as we sat down in his 
Rules Committee chamber what he's telling his progressive colleagues who are now threatening to vote against infrastructure if reconciliation does not come first. So, look, what we need is an ironclad guarantee that we're going to get the uh, human infrastructure bill. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and I think if we can get that, uh, then maybe some of the hesitancy in voting for uh, the, you know, the, the, the traditional infrastructure bill will, uh, will reside. But, you know, I myself want to make sure we have an ironclad commitment that we're going to move forward on the reconciliation bill. I, I want to make sure that we're not going to do one bill, uh, which, by the way, is, is good. In my opinion, it's not great, but it's good. Uh, there's a lot in that I support. There's some stuff I don't support, and there's a lot that's missing. But, you know, I'm willing to vote for it um, as long as we get the other bill, too. Hmm. We need them both. And, um, and that was the original promise. Uh, and we ought to keep to it. And so the issue now is let's figure out what it is the reconciliation bill looks like, which is the human infrastructure bill. Let's figure out what we can all agree on. Let's find the areas where there's disagreement and see whether we can hash something out. But let's get to the finish line. Uh, and, uh, you know, a lot, a lot is at stake here. I think it's, it, it's not only the, the future of our economy and the well-being of the American people, but, uh, you know, the Democrats control the White House, the Senate, and the House. I mean, people want us to deliver it. Now we have razor-thin margins in both, and we have a very diverse party, but nonetheless, American people are, are, are tired of bickering. They want us to deliver, and so this is the moment for us all to come together, and, and let's deliver for them. A lot of this is on your shoulders as chair of the Rules Committee to make all of this happen, to bring bills to the floor. Is it possible to have a vote on both on Monday? Well, I mean, I, I mean even if we came to a deal on the uh, human infrastructure bill, the reconciliation bill, mm -hmm. I mean, just logistically, there is, it takes time, right? So we, 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 you know, we have certain procedures we follow here. You know, you got to make sure the bill is written perfectly. Um, we want people to have a chance to read the bill. I mean, so you just can't do it like that. So maybe the better option is to delay the vote on Monday and, you know, give us a little bit more time. And if we get to the point where we all are getting to an agreement, we trust each other, mm -hmm. then, you know, we can move on that and then, you know, and move on the, uh, on the other one later. You know, the reason why people are insisting on having the human infrastructure bill go first is because that is where we're hearing some resistance from some of the some of the Democrats in the Senate. Yeah. And so I mean, the deal here is, look, let's get to a point where we trust each other and then we, we can move forward on, you know, and which order won't matter as much. Do you want to wait to hear what the Senate is willing to accept or do you want to pass a bill in the House, send it over? Yeah, we, we have to we have to pass a bill that the Senate could pass. Otherwise, this is a sure a meaningless exercise. Right. So, I mean, so and as we speak, uh, committees of jurisdiction, um, you know, in the House are actually talking to their counterparts in the Senate to try to make sure that whatever the language we put in this bill is acceptable to mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. So we're already beginning that process. It's been suggested, uh, Representative Jan Schakowsky even alluded to this when I was speaking with her last evening on the program, that maybe you pass the bipartisan infrastructure bill and, and put it on the shelf until reconciliation is figured out, not send it to the White House quite well, yet. I, I don't know whether you can do that. I mean, um, the deal is, is that, um, I mean, I think there's some constitutional questions about, you know, the Senate's already passed it. Yeah. 
you know, we pass it, then it goes right to the White House. So I, you know, you might be able to delay it for a little bit, but um, I, I don't think that that's an option. Understood. Yeah. So I, I, I think a better option would be uh, to maybe delay the vote on the um, physical infrastructure bill until we're further along on the human infrastructure bill. Mm-hmm. While we're talking reconciliation, the debt ceiling is uh, is in the air today. Everyone's talking about it. It appears that Democrats uh, will have to handle this alone. Is there enough time to do that through reconciliation? There seems to be some disagreement as to whether you'd make the deadline. Right. Uh, well, I mean, the, and there's also some debate as to whether reconciliation is the, you know, the vehicle to do it in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I talked to Senator Sanders yesterday, who chairs the Senate Budget Committee, and he's had some reservations about that. But we're, I don't know. We're, we're trying to figure that out. Look, the idea that Republicans are turning the uh, uh, raising the debt ceiling into a political football is like political malpractice. I mean, there's lots of stuff to be political about. I mean, everything in this town is political. You, you don't, they don't like the reconciliation bill. You know, do what you got to do on that. You know, you don't like, you know, this bill or that bill. But when we talk about raising the debt ceiling, we're not talking about future spending. We're talking about paying the bills that we've already accumulated. And by the way, when Donald Trump was president, I couldn't stand his policies. I, I fought tooth and nail against his obnoxious tax cut bill that benefited the rich and big corporations. And by the way, it, it added to our debt considerably. Uh, and yet when it came time to vote for the debt ceiling, I voted for it. I mean, I, I tried to stop his uh, bill that accumulated you know, trillions to the debt. I didn't succeed. Well, you know what? But just because I didn't succeed doesn't mean I have the right to say I'm not going to pay the bill. Uh, we all have to pay the bills we've accumulated. And to play Russian roulette with this, that really does jeopardize our economy. Um, it sends a message to the world that we're like, you know, out of our minds. Um, it's so stupid. Uh, and when I hear Mitch McConnell say, well, you know, it's up to the president's party to carry the day. Boy, he didn't say that when Donald Trump was president. Um, and, you know, and again, this is the one thing that really shouldn't be about politics. You want to cut spending, then you pass bills to cut spending. You want to, you know, you want to, uh, you, you know, cut taxes, you got to cut, you pass bills to cut taxes. So you want to raise taxes, you pass bills to raise taxes. You know, we, we, we make those decisions, but after those decisions have been made to go back and say, no, I'm not going to pay the bill. That's mm-hmm. political malpractice. And by the way, 90, over 97% of the total debt uh, that would be covered by this happened before Joe Biden was president. So it's like, give me a break. There seems to be a lot of confusion about that. As even Kevin McCarthy said, that, that Trump spending has been paid for and that this would allow Democrats to spend more going forward. Are, are we just playing with so the Kevin, American so public? Kevin McCarthy um, is not only misinformed, um, but, you know, in my opinion, um, is a poor ex- excuse for a Republican leader. I mean, I, I'm just so sick of the lies um, and um, not only on things like this, but I mean, his complicity with all things Trump related, um, you know, his unwillingness to even allow a bi- truly bipartisan commission to go forward to get to the truth about January 6th. So Kevin McCarthy, in my opinion, is just noise and, and, and you know, um, that makes no difference. Uh, you know, he's desperately trying to endear himself to, you know, the kind of lunatic fringe within his conference, 
it, it, so that he can stay as leader and and obviously he wants to be speaker of the house but you know i mean that's it's again it's political malpractice and uh, again kevin mccarthy didn't didn't you know didn't didn't say that only republicans should raise the debt ceiling when donald trump was president um so i mean the hypocrisy is well it is what it is I and mean, I, I i i've run out of adjectives to describe you know what i think about him Congressman Jim McGovern, Democrat from Massachusetts, chair of the House Rules Committee. As you heard the buzzer behind us, they were voting today and a good chance to sit down and pick the brain of the man who has to actually write the rules to get all of this business to the House floor. We turn to the panel quickly here. We've got Rick and Jeannie with us for the hour. Bloomberg Politics contributors, as promised, Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. Jeannie, you just heard from... The rules chair here and a little bit of news that he made about what might happen on a couple of different fronts. I have to admit, I'm drawn to his comments about Monday. There was supposed to be a vote on infrastructure Monday, as Pelosi promised moderates. Jim McGovern now suggesting that vote be delayed until we have enough trust, he says, between moderates and progressives when it comes to reconciliation. Do you think that's how this ends? That is a distinct possibility. Progressives, uh, we understand, asked the president to push for a delay. Um, the president apparently said he'd think about it. McGovern just echoed that to you. So, you know, I do think that is a possibility. Um, I'm not sure, though, how progressives are going to take to that. Let's not forget, Josh Gottheimer said a long time ago, the longer you delay this, the more time goes by, the more mm-hmm. likely this thing is d- that it dies. That's for sure. Rick, we talked yesterday about comments from Representative Jan Schakowsky was on this program and suggested, you know what, maybe we vote on that infrastructure bill on Monday, then we leave it on the shelf, wait to send it to the White House. You made note of this and work on reconciliation. McGovern there is suggesting that that may not even be constitutionally allowed. Yeah, I think that these things are all linked to certain days that uh, it takes for uh, the House of Representatives to print the bill and send it to the White House. They have a certain amount of leeway, but certainly not like at their discretion. Uh, and I think part of what uh, the, the the chairman of the Rules Committee, uh, who you just interviewed, uh, uh, portrays is something that I find absolutely fascinating about this whole process, which is a, a minority group of few, right? Whether it's the moderates in the Senate uh, within a Democratic Party, the moderates in the House within a Democratic Party, the progressives in the House in the Democratic Party, the, the minority is driving all the process. Uh, and the majority, which we all brought up in the majority rules, can't seem to get a breakthrough within their own party. And mm-hmm. so I think all this gets done, but I think it gets done in probably uh, the mechanical fashion that's been described, reconciliation, and, uh, and the Democrats have to take ownership of it. And, and, but they still have to unravel this, this incredibly huge... Uh, reconciliation bill that is nowhere uh, in the last week. We still have a lot of blanks to fill in, even though, as again, the leadership today announcing a deal on a framework, they say, for pay-fors, which as we all chased Nancy Pelosi down the hallway to get details, she said, the news conference is over. This is a great step forward. I want to bring in Mick Mulvaney now, of course, the founder of Exegis Capital, the former acting White House chief of staff, former OMB director, former congressman. And I know I could keep going. It's like the longest business card in Washington. Mick Mulvaney, welcome back to Bloomberg Radio. You must you must be scratching your head watching this whole debate go back and forth because you've been on all sides of this. 
You've been on both sides of the negotiating table. You've been through debt limits. You've been through reconciliations before. I just wonder what you make of the framework announced today. And as you look at the schedule, you look at the calendar, if you think any of this is possible to get done in time. Oh, man, what a great bunch of questions. I was laughing as you were telling the story about Nancy running down the uh, the hallway saying the press conference is over. It because was. your point is, is well made, which is that they, they said there was an agreement. They said there's a framework. And when people asked, OK, what is it? They said, we're not going to tell you, um, which is a fascinating way to negotiate. Um, but again, it, it, that only exists in Washington, D.C., but that's, that's par for the course in Washington, D.C. Um, to your panel's point, I think this gets done. I just don't think at the end of the day that Democrats are willing to walk away from the table with nothing. I've heard conjecture that the longer the bill goes on, the, 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 the harder it is to pass. And I, that's true, by the way, that bills get uglier the older they get, because when you have a you know, let's say it's a 10,000 piece of page document. People are actually going to get a chance to go through it at some point and they're going to find a bunch of stuff they don't like. Um, and so it does get uglier as it goes on. And that tends to encourage people to think this thing might fall apart. But at the end of the day, I know these folks enough to know they're not going to walk away from the opportunity to pass something on their own. They are very concerned about losing the House yeah. um, in 2022, the Senate less so. But if, as soon as they lose one of these bodies, they, they don't have the ability to do this. So I think um, sooner or later, Nancy will have her way. Something will pass on both infrastructure and the social spending bill. Mick, can you give us some straight talk about the debt ceiling? I, I've been asking every lawmaker about this, and it seems like it depends on the party you're in at the moment as to how you answer. The debt ceiling, as Nancy Pelosi says, is a credit card, and it needs to be paid off. It has to do with covering past spending, money that's already been allocated, as opposed to what we're hearing at the moment from the Republican leadership, Kevin McCarthy today, suggesting that it will allow Democrats to spend more going forward. Why are we doing this every couple of years, having um, the same debate? Both And both of those are, are mostly true. Again, Washington uses a different language. So when you ask for a straight question, those are actually straight answers in Washington. I love this. It's okay. Not, it's, it's not straight answer in ordinary English. Uh, a couple straight answers in ordinary English. Both parties use the debt ceiling as leverage. Um, it, it's the nature of the beast. It's one of the things that has to get passed in Washington, D.C., just like an, a yearly spending bill. Why do we do a spending bill every single year? Why isn't all the spending on automatic control so that you don't have to vote on it every single year? There's a bunch of things like that in Washington. It's what we call must-pass legislation, and it gives typically the minority some leverage, which is why everybody still kind of likes it. Hmm. People forget, and most of my Democrat friends forget that in 2000, I think it was eight, 17 or 18, the last time we raised the debt ceiling, the Democrats used it as leverage to increase spending. They would not support uh, a clean debt ceiling increase when Donald Trump was president unless they got more spending. That's typically what the party and the minority does. So both parties are guilty of it. Um, but that's not unusual. That's how Washington works. Some of these things have to pass, and that gives people leverage. What you're not hearing, though, interestingly enough, is, is enough discussion, I think, about the fact that the debt ceiling is the quintessential thing that can be reconciled. In fact, the Budget Act of 1974, which creates reconciliation, made it specific that the debt ceiling can be reconciled, which means you only need 50 votes in the Senate. Mm -hmm. The Democrats have the ability to do this by themselves, and I, I, I'm not sure entirely why, yet they aren't doing it. It may come to that. They may have no choice. Do you think there's time to get that done through reconciliation? That also has been up for debate. You need two weeks, three weeks, or can it truly be done? 
it can, they can do whatever they want to. They can stop the clock if they want to. The Senate can vote to stop stop the clock. I'm not mm-hmm. making that up. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do it with, if you're in the majority in the House, if you're in the majority in the Senate, you can pretty much do whatever you want to if the minority goes along with it, especially in the Senate. There are more, there's a lot more minority protections in the Senate yeah. than there are in the House. You just talked to Jim McGovern, who's a good guy, Rules Committee chairman. But if you're asking the right question, what he'll tell you is they write a separate rule for every single bill. So they change the rules every single day in Congress, and they could change those rules in order to make reconciliation easier. What this is really about, I think, is that Democrats are worried about the politics of passing a huge spending bill and then in the next breath raising the debt ceiling without any Republican support. That's hard to sell in the heartland. It's hard to sell Mm -hmm. in those purple districts. It can be used against them politically, and that's why I think they're not doing it yet. We're spending some time with Mick Mulvaney here on Bloomberg Sound On. The other big one, of course, is funding the government here. We're a week out, uh, Mick. You've seen this movie a lot of times. Republicans aren't going to buy the bill that had the the debt ceiling in it. So it looks like Democrats will come back with a clean CR. Is there any uh, chance that you see right now that not getting done in time or the government stays funded? No. uh, Once the Democrats, uh, the... the, um well, while the debt ceiling can be reconciled, the spending bill cannot. So the, 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 the bill to keep the government functioning, the short term, what we call a continuing resolution, a CR, spending yep. bill, does have to have 60 votes uh, in the Senate. And I think by the time you get up against September 30th, everyone's deathly afraid of a, uh, of a government shutdown in Washington, D.C. I think we all prove no one, the voters don't really care about it. Um, but they're deathly afraid of it. And at the end of the day, before September 30th, there will be a clean CR passed in order to probably fund the government through probably December. Before you go away, I want to ask you quickly about crypto. Uh, you founded, before it was hip, the Congressional Blockchain Caucus. Oh, You're also I on the board. Remind me about that. Because <laughs> Bitcoin was $204 when I started. Oh, jeez. I'm not going to ask you how many coins you own. I uh, didn't. I, was, I thought it would be a conflict of interest. So I did. Oh, a bunch of kids in my office bought it and made a great deal of money. Wow. All right. We need yeah. to interview them next. Uh, you're also uh, you're on the board at the, the Chamber of Digital Commerce. Uh, looks like we're, this is going to be regulated. Uh, what does the SEC need to do and what should they not do in attempting to regulate I'll say uh, cryptocurrency in, instead of specifically Bitcoin, the coins themselves. How should this work? Yeah, um, I, I think they just need to be cognizant of the power that they have to do both good and evil. I'm talking about the SEC now. The industry has been asking for some guidance, and that means regulation for a decade now, simply because, especially when crypto first came out, we weren't really sure what it was. Was it an asset? Was it a financial uh, document? Was it, was it a currency? What was it? And they were looking for guides, and they're still looking for that. What, 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 what the industry is fearful of is overreaction and oversimplification. Um, Washington works in 15-second sound bites, and it's really hard to, 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 to regulate a, a complex market, which is what crypto has become, in 15-second soundbites. So we don't want overreaction. Someone to say, oh, my goodness, crypto is used in, um, in ransomware attacks, therefore it's evil, let's get rid of the darn thing. Yeah. That's, that's what they're hoping to avoid. And I think what you're seeing, interestingly, is a, is a, is a, is a very – technology is developing faster than ever. We all know that. I actually think it's maturing 
socially faster than ever. And I think many of the crypto companies now, many of the, of the coin operators have figured out that they have to behave like like more mature companies. It's it, the days of them, you know, sitting in their basement and launching anonymous attacks on, on Instagram against a senator are, has to go. And they need to behave more like mature financial services uh, providers. And I think you're seeing that. And I think that bodes well for reasonable regulation guidance going forward um i i i, I cross I, I i'm not a betting man in this particular circumstance but if i were i would think that uh the sec ultimately will, will come down and do about the right thing and will not regulate this uh, industry out of existence fascinating take from mick mulvaney did you say it was 240 dollars a coin yeah, then? 204 i was waiting for oh, it to four. Go 200 yeah oh, so, oh goodness gracious We'll talk about that again. Mick Mulvaney, uh, thank you so much for walking us through all of that. Former Office of Management Budget Director, Acting White House Chief of Staff, founder of Exegis Capital with us live on Bloomberg Sound On. We are fulfilling the mission of this broadcast. I hope you've learned as much as I have in the last 20 minutes as Mark Zandi warns about the potential for a default. We're not there yet. We have to still get through the government funding deadline next week, but as we've heard from the Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, sometime in mid-October, it's going to count. And as Democrats try to figure out the way forward here without Republicans, it seems, the chief economist at Moody's Analytics, Mark Zandi, is warning that even a short default would be costly for generations, and he's with us right now. Mark, welcome back. It's always great to have you on Bloomberg. Do you, for starters, see a default coming? I think the odds are low, just because... Logic would dictate that lawmakers wouldn't go down that path, right? I mean, if they did, uh, I, I think it would be cataclysmic to markets and to the economy. They must know that, and given that they know that, they just won't won't go there. But mm-hmm. you know, having said that, uh, there's a lot of moving parts here, and a lot of things have to get done before the drop dead date, which, by my calculation, is October 20th. Uh, so there's a lot of risk here. And the, and the other thing I'd say is. You know, the longer this drags on, uh, and the the more it becomes uh, partisan, that you know, the that the, the Democrats by themselves have to get this done. I think that just sets this debt limit drama up to be even more of a problem down the road because yeah. the party that's in power is going to have to do it on their own without the other, and that's going to be a problem. Well, we've seen the the credit ratings agencies act uh, just on the concern before, right? How close do you have to get to the cliff before? S&P or Moody's start questioning our credit worthiness? Uh, you know, I, I don't speak for the rating agency. I, I don't know. I, I mean, obviously, S&P, you know, downgraded uh, U.S. Treasury debt back in the 2011 yeah. uh, drama over all of this. So uh, according to S&P, we're no longer AAA. So, you know, I don't know what the rating agencies are thinking, but I think in the minds of investors that if you get, you know, if you could go down this uh, path, too many more times, certainly if you default, I mean, then, you know, uh, I can't imagine the ratings won't change. You write that even if resolved quickly in a note to clients, Americans would pay for this default for generations as global investors would rightly believe the federal government's finances have been politicized. That's what we're really talking about here, Mark, that politics have creeped into policy to a point where you can't predict what's going to happen. Yeah, that's right. I, I don't, I, people, I don't think, recognize the value of the fact that global investors think when they buy our treasury debt, it's money good. You know that they're going to get their principal and interest payments on time, 
And that, that principle was established at the founding of our nation. Alexander Hamilton, the first Treasury Secretary, did that with Revolutionary War bonds. And that has uh, reaped so much benefit to us in the form of much lower interest rates than in the rest of the world. And uh, the reserve, the dollar is the reserve currency, and that is a tremendous benefit to us. And, you know, to give that up because of some crazy, you know, political uh, chicanery around something as silly as the debt limit is just, you know, mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. So it's really very important that, you know, lawmakers kind of come together here. As, you know, I know it's hard to do, but, you know, it makes complete sense to come together. Because this is a shared responsibility, in my view, both Republicans and Democrats have passed legislation that have contributed to, to deficits and higher debt, so it's a shared responsibility for them to, to raise the debt limit, and that's the right thing to do. Does it send a message that, that it will not be bipartisan, that this is now, in fact, politicized to the point where apparently only the majority party can handle it? Yeah, I, I worry about it. I mean, I think there's still a, a shot here, although that, that seems to be falling in probability pretty quickly, that you know maybe the Democrats can put forward a bill that the funds the government uh, you know past the uh, October 1st uh, date includes a uh, suspension of the debt limit for some period of time and the Republicans at least don't filibuster it not they don't have to vote for it right but just not filibuster it um but you know if if they do filibuster it then it's going to be on the Democrats to you know do it under the reconciliation bill that big 3.5 yeah. trillion dollar reconciliation bill and that you know again they can do it but it's going to cost us it's going to it means that we're going to be lined up for you know very very partisan you know debt limit increases or suspension in the future and i think that means more uncertainty that means higher interest rates and it's going to cost us as taxpayers and it's going to cost our economy I know you're an economist, but you're also a, a, a watcher of Capitol Hill. Do you think it ends up in the three and a half trillion dollar reconciliation, or did they create a different vehicle, if if not a separate reconciliation bill, to do that? I know that there's only supposed to be one, but hey, you know, I don't they write think the they rules. Can. No? Yeah, I don't think they can. No, under the rules, they can't. Uh, so I don't. I think they. You know, there's obviously a lot. That, this is part of the point. There's a tremendous confusion around this because, you know, obviously we don't go down this path very often, but when you invoke reconciliation, the reconciliation process, it's very complicated. And, you know, you have a parliamentarian in the Senate who kind of decides what can go in reconciliation or not. So there's you know, all kinds of, you know, arcane, you know, rules here. And that, that's one reason to be a little, you know, somewhat nervous that even if the Democrats decide, okay, we got to get this into our reconciliation bill, that you know they may not do it in time. They may actually you know foot fault, mis- misstep, and someone doesn't get paid on time. So that That's risk right. is not inconsequential. That's why this conversation is important. I realize that. Well, I mean, I. There are there are good intentions in getting this fixed, but sometimes it doesn't go the way you plan. And that's why a brief, even a brief default is something that you're writing about. But you also point out, uh, Mark, lastly, in your note that when the U.S. has come close to defaulting or saw payments accidentally delayed in the past, each time investors demanded more return for buying Treasury uh, securities, forcing up government borrowing costs. Is that still possible? Yeah, I think that's the case. I mean, there was a really interesting uh, event back in 1979 when the Treasury... Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large-sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk 
from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how the Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Because of a word processing equipment failure, couldn't get uh, Treasury bill payments out to investors on time. It was completely inadvertent, a mistake. You know, it was the, the, the payments were made up, you know, within days. But the careful study shows that that caused, uh, you know, interest rates to remain elevated for months. And it cost taxpayers tens of billions of dollars just because that silly, simple mistake. Now, can you imagine... You know, if it's an intentional mistake, you know, an intentional default, you know, that we knew better, but we still did it because of political reasons. Yeah. Uh, that, that'll cost us, uh, you know, a lot of money going forward. God forbid. Mark Zandi, Chief Economist, Moody's Analytics. Mark, thank you for helping us uh, understand a little bit more about this and what risks we might be facing. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. You heard Congressman Jim McGovern, chair of the Rules Committee, at the start of this hour, the Democrats saying Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader in the House, is misinformed on the debt ceiling. And he had more to say than that. Kevin McCarthy um, is not only misinformed, uh, but, you know, in my opinion, um, is a poor excuse for a Republican leader. I mean, I'm just so sick of the lies did hear from Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader in the House, had his own things to say about Democrats. They have their internal firing squad right now upset with each other because one side won't vote for it unless they get reconciliation. So whatever agreement they come upon is not about the infrastructure bill. It's about whether they can spend $5 trillion. Good thing we have the panel. Rick and Jeannie are with us. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. Rick, what do you make of this? When you get to the point here of coming up on deadline, something needs to happen. You need a break. We're talking about a lot of money. This is when the ugly politics start to emerge, right, in some of the talk that we're hearing. Yeah, because uh, you've got to get to an end point soon. And so everybody's really staking out some pretty tough positions. Uh, it, it will be interesting uh, two years from now if the Republicans gain control of the uh, House of Representatives to hear Speaker Kevin McCarthy complain about having to raise the debt ceiling because the Democrats spent $5 trillion on public interest uh, spending. And uh, it, it's the same conversation we're having now about the, the, the Democrats claiming this is all uh, Trump debt. Uh, the bottom line is uh, there are ways to get this done. Uh, I agree with what uh, Paul Zandi was saying, that the, the risks far outweigh the politics on this. And, and I'm really scratching my head because having spent you know a lot of time in politics, I don't see how anybody gains a political advantage on something like the debt ceiling. Uh, voters aren't going to vote for that. Uh, uh, government shutdowns are incredibly unpopular. Uh, and so I really don't see the political upside to any of this gamesmanship that we're seeing on both parties' side right now. What do you make of this, Jeannie, the debt ceiling? We've talked about it a lot, but it's clear that uh, Republicans are not going to be involved in this and, and Democrats will have to go it alone. But after our conversation there with Mark Zandi and after, after what we talked about with the Congressman McGovern, it's likely that if this is going to be handled, it will have to go in the existing reconciliation bill, which could make things even more complicated. 
It could. And, you know, Mark Zandi at one point said something about maybe common sense will prevail and, you know, maybe <laughs> they would work together. And, you know, listening to those two clips that you just played and, of course, to the conversation going on in Washington for the last few months, it is clear that that is not going to happen. And to your point, Democrats are going to have to go this alone. You know, it is fascinating because, of course, this is this game that both sides have been playing with the debt ceiling over the last decade or so. And it is going to be increasingly used as a tool for them to extract from the other side some kind of concession. But if you think about it from the perspective of Americans looking at this, to bring the United States to this point of such a dangerous level, as Mark Zandi was talking about, so that you can extract some kind of concessions that, to Rick's point, voters don't even vote on, it is going, you know, it is hard pressed to imagine where we are today in Washington, D.C., when we are left with this. And, you know, even the basics we can't agree to, the facts, at least our leaders can't agree to, whose debt are we paying, the past or the future? (laughs) You know, that's a basic question that nobody seems, at least in leadership seems to be able to agree on. <laughs> Mick Mulvaney, Rick said it's both. Yeah, parts of it is both. I mean, it allows you to spend more, so you're releasing some of the, the limits on what the debt you can have. But, like, it's also the past, right? It's it's both Donald Trump spending, but it's mm-hmm. also a trillion dollars of, of stimulus package that uh, Joe Biden put on the table the very first week he was in office. So uh, I, I think one of the things that we're missing, and, 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 and uh, Zandy mentioned this, he said, you know, as long as Republicans don't filibuster this in the Senate, you can get a CR through right away. And he's right because of the the technique called unanimous consent. Mm-hmm. It, it could get brought up uh, it, it, on a standalone basis. Uh, Republicans say nothing. Unanimous consent passes and you're off to the races. Uh, the problem McConnell has with that is he can't control Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley and Rand Paul. Mm-hmm. If those three guys were out of the room when they did this, you'd probably get this to go through without a single Republican no vote. Wait, can you imagine a world, Jeannie? I I can't imagine a world. And I think one of the stunning things I've been looking at is that you have even some of the more moderate Republicans who are willing to let this happen. We've heard from them, people like Mitt Romney, Lisa Murkowski, and others who, you know, are willing to bring the nation to this brink um, to make this point. And that, to me, is part of the story that's been underreported. The Republicans have hung together on this willingness not to, uh, you know, vote. Even You can't even find 10 of them to vote to fund the United States debt or to lift the debt, ce- lift the debt ceiling. Want to get back to this framework announced today on reconciliation, the pay fors, even though we don't really have numbers and frankly, it, it's, there's no bill. They haven't agreed on everything that's going to go in this. When when Chuck Schumer announced that we have a framework uh, to go forward here, he's got Janet Yellen at his side. He was quickly left, uh, quickly left the stage. And of course, reporters had nothing but questions about, well, what does that mean as Nancy Pelosi's at the podium? That means we're proceeding, uh, that we've made great progress and we're proceeding. Yeah. And, and uh, no, but we now went further because there were some specifics. If we are in a situation of lamb eat lamb. There's so many good provisions. What is affordable and what is uh, effective and what gets the best results as soon as possible? So th- we made great progress this morning because it's in the writing. You know, you hear everybody coming out and talking about one thing or another, but we are writing legislation. Writing legislation, essentially, I guess, Jeannie, an effort to say that we haven't given up on this. 
we're still moving forward, but we can't tell you anything about it? <laughs> That's right. And I, the quote of Lammy Lamb, I I'm not even sure what to say about that. But, you know, that I think is part of, you know, when you when you described her as running down the hallway, um, that's really what I think we're seeing is the Democrats trying to be optimistic, trying to keep people together and saying there is movement forward. But it's hard to know what to think when not even a top line is understood, let alone any of the details in this framework. Because truly, if they could get to a framework where they could get to a vote on Monday, we may see movement. But, you know, without any details, you're hard pressed to know. Now, let's say they could hammer this out Friday through Sunday and get to a vote on Monday. Otherwise, they're going to be facing a lot of pressure from these moderates to hold that vote in the absence of an agreement on the reconciliation bill. Just to make everything clear here, she wasn't running. She was being chased by reporters, <laughs> but she was running at her own pace. By the way, can somebody bring me in on Lammy Lamb? What, what are we talking about, Jeannie? I'm not sure I was going right, to okay, ask so you. <laughs> I started Googling. I don't know, Rick, is that a saying? I don't no, know. No, no, you that. asked her. Let her come up with an answer to that. <laughs> I, you know, Rick, uh, go uh, ahead. It could yeah. be lamb eat lamb, not yeah, dog but, eat dog. Is that where? Yeah, but what yeah, does that I mean? I have no idea. Yeah. I'm sorry I asked now. You know, look, I, th- I think one of the, the, the answers to that question is that, that, that you know, Chairman Neal, you know, House Ways and Means Chairman, uh, came out a week ago with a $2.1 trillion uh, uh, dollar amount that, that he says he can raise through revenue raising uh, to fund the reconciliation package. He didn't say he could get $3.5 billion. He could get $2.1 trillion uh, or uh, trillion. Uh, I'm sorry. Sometimes I get billions and trillions mixed up because I used it's to think a billion dollars was a lot of money. Uh, <laughs> and I, I guess that's not the case anymore. But but assuming that, I mean, like they start with two point one trillion that they yep. had a week ago that I, they identified. Um, does that mean the top number is coming down to meet that? Does that mean they found new money? Uh, I think these are all legitimate questions when they bold blatantly sure. say, oh, we found all the money we need. Right. Um, John McCain used to have this great line when he was at a fundraiser. He says, you know, the good news tonight is we've raised all the money we need for this campaign. The bad news is lots of it's still in your purses and wallets. (laughs) Rick Davis, ladies and gentlemen, and Jeannie with us for the hour here. I have to ask you quickly about crypto because we got into that uh, for just a bit with uh, Mick Mulvaney and the, the push to regulate crypto, which appears to be inevitable. It's just a question of what form uh, it will take. And, and Mulvaney, Jeannie, seems to think that this is a reasonable uh, end to this story, that this will be handled properly by Gensler and the rest of the SEC. I do think there is a good chance. I think it's something where you do see at least, uh, you know, some bipartisan agreement on the need. What that looks like in the end, I think, is a different question. But I do think it's one of those areas, unlike policing and potentially infrastructure and some of the others, mm-hmm. where we may see Congress make some progress. And let's let's be clear, it is much needed at this point. So, you know, to hear him talk about, you know, and you asked him about that, the crypto caucus that he ran so long ago, <laughs> it's fascinating. Fascinating that how much that was in the zeitgeist even then and how much it's fascinating. $204 (laughs) a coin. I could feel his pain. Uh, I'll tell you what, though. I don't know if you heard from Tom Brady. Yes, that Tom Brady wants to be paid in crypto. He talked about it on Jim Gray's uh, show on Sirius XM. The digital age is upon us. I don't think we're ever going back. We're using the technology information to um, track things much better. And uh, I definitely see a world where players are going to be paid 
in cryptocurrencies in the future. I don't know where Gronk is when you need him here, uh, Rick, but is that the equivalent of the shoeshine boy telling you to buy stocks? Absolutely. This is okay. the one the one goat who doesn't need any extra cash <laughs> is willing to take the future bet on crypto. Okay, fine with me. Um, but look, I mean, obviously the SEC is, is not happy with the current state of the crypto industry. And Gensler's made it totally clear that they're going to do something about it, whether it's on the lending side or whatnot. So stay tuned. There's more to go on crypto. All right. We have confirmed Rick and Jeannie. It's lamb eat lamb. Think of how much we've learned in the fastest hour in politics. It's called Sound On. And thanks to everyone for being with us. Congressman McGovern, Mick Mulvaney, and of course, Mark Zandi, along with Rick and Jeannie on the panel here. We'll do this again tomorrow, the Friday edition with our Reporters Roundtable. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Success. It's discipline. It's teamwork. It's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing global wealth management and investment banking firms in the industry. Stiefel. It's where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.